0: Revelations part 13. We're going to look tonight at the rider on the white horse. Can you stand up with me? And this is an incredible chapter, and it is really moving when we see what John is bringing us to, what John is seeing as he is given this incredible vision of heaven. Now let's pray together, and then I'm going to let you be seated, and we're going to get right into it, and we're moving into the war of Armageddon and the return of Jesus Christ from heaven. Can you just place your hand over your heart? You may have never done that in church, but I want us to pray God opens our heart and breaks the hard heart. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray that you will open our hearts to the word of God. And Lord, you will awaken our faith and move on us by your Holy Spirit and change our life. Thank you, Lord, for understanding and for wisdom. Now will you breathe a prayer and just say, Lord, I receive your word. Speak to me in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. Let's look for a minute at horrific Armageddon. You know, only God can tell you the future and be a hundred percent accurate. Not Nostradamus, God. And you'll find that God in Bible prophecy. The prophecy that has been fulfilled was fulfilled not 90%, not 98%, not 998 but 100% accurate. What we're enjoying is a glimpse into the future. And remember now, it's a time period. It's called the Great Tribulation. The prophets in the Old Testament called it the Day of the Lord. I was reading this morning, I'm going through the minor prophets now in my own devotional. Twelve minor prophets... I was reading about old Jonah this morning and then went over uh, into Nahum and a couple of others and, and I was noticing that they all talk about the day of the Lord. They all have this time that we're about to go into on this planet. They all saw it and they called it the day of the Lord, the day of the visitation of the wrath of God. And I want to remind you again that God is not only a God of love, but God is a God of wrath. And ladies and gentlemen, We've got to get a grip on that. You cannot sin and not incur the displeasure of God. And if you sin long enough and with an unrepentant heart and continue in it when God warns you and warns you, you will encounter the wrath of God. Our nation is daring God to judge it. And you know what? God's going to oblige them. If you perfectly love something, you also perfectly hate something else. There is always an antithesis. The antithesis to love is hate. And if God loves you with a perfect love, He hates what is destroying you with a perfect hatred. And so you've got to keep in mind when you get into this book of Revelations that we're looking at 22 chapters of primarily the judgment of God being poured out in the broken seals and the trumpets and the bowls. 21 judgments escalating in severity over a seven-year period of time. And so we're at the end now. And last time we saw John's prediction of two Babylons, a spiritual Babylon symbolized by the great harlot and a literal, physical Babylon that would become the headquarters of Antichrist and his evil political system. Both, says John, will be destroyed. Last time talked about there will be a literal Babylon, old Babylon, ancient Babylon is going to be resurrected Likely, right where it always was, in Iraq. This is why there has been, I think, such warfare over that part of the world. Because of the judgment of God and the destiny of God and the purpose of God that is over that area. Eden was in Iraq. If you want to know all of the significance of Iraq, grab last week's CD because I named about 12 to 15 things that really focus on Iraq and the part that iraq has played in the bible it's huge but babylon's going to be resurrected and as you read about and hear about on the news anytime you hear this phrase one world order when you hear that phrase you are hearing the echo of what antichrist will seize hold of and use when you hear the phrase one world order one world currency one world anything that is the enemy Prepping this world to receive this concept in reality. The day will come, there will be a one world government, one world currency, one world ruler, and that's the Antichrist. So be aware of those things as you read the news, watch the news, and I'm going to repeat myself from last week and then we're moving on. I don't believe the liberal media. I no longer trust them. I do not trust them. They haven't earned my trust. I'm a thinking person. I'm an aware person, and I'm very aware that the media has gone so liberal, so in the tank for liberalism, that you can't trust what they say. So if it has to do with politics or it has to do with religion, take it with a tablespoon of salt. Be very skeptical, because they're angling it towards liberalism and away from the word. Now that's free. You can chew the meat and spit out the bones, but I'll guarantee you I'm right. I don't believe them i don't trust them i'm disappointed in them now having said that it makes sense that the media would be going with liberalism and with antichrist type concepts because that's who's going to use them the antichrist now we ended with the financial collapse of the entire world starting with babylon with whom all the earth had been trading and doing business remember that john is now once again taken up into heaven To hear a crowd shouting, and this is a crowd. Remember, Revelations takes you from earth to heaven, back to earth, back up to heaven. John is like a yo-yo. He sees these horrific things happening on the earth, but then the Lord, by His Spirit, takes him up into heaven where something totally different is going on. So while this horror is taking place on earth, the Great Tribulation, look what's happening in heaven in Revelations 19. 19. John says, after this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting. Read it with me, everybody. Praise the Lord. Well, we got to try that again because you better warm up. You're going to be in this crowd. So let's warm up. Ready? Praise the Lord. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Woo! Well, let's continue because you're going to be saying it. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. He has avenged the murder of his servants. Hallelujah. Now, remember, a lot of the wrath that's poured out, it's clear in Revelations, is God bringing vengeance for what they have done to his servants. He's answering the prayer of the martyrs who we saw under the altar in an earlier chapter. And what were they praying under the altar? Lord, when are you going to avenge us? When are you going to avenge our blood? He said, there's still some that need to be martyred that will be murdered for my name's sake. Be patient. Now in chapter 19, we're there. God's wrath has been poured out. He's avenged the murder of his people. Dear church, hear me tonight. You can't touch God's kids and not pay. And as we see anti-Semitism sweeping the globe again in ways that are very chilling, never curse the Jewish people. God will get you. I'm just telling you, He will. And all these Arab nations, surrounding them, cursing them, plotting their demise, are going to be wiped out by the hand Of the living God. Because the Jewish people are perfect? No. Because they're His chosen? Yes. So chapter 19 opens with a grand hallelujah chorus in sharp contrast, wailing and weeping of the world over the fall of Babylon in chapter 18. The world's weeping, and in heaven we're rejoicing. Now notice there's four hallelujahs, or praise the Lord's. And those hallelujahs proclaim the triumph of heaven the judgment of the false and final superchurch and the whole Babylonian system, when all of that crashes down, you and I and millions of saints in glory are going to shout hallelujah four times. The Lord has finally taken vengeance on those that persecuted and murdered his people. Remember, there are souls under the altar, and we talked about that. Now next, the 24 elders and the four living creatures are heard for the last time giving a mighty shout of praise. I'll tell you, folks, when you read Revelations, all that's going on in heaven is praise. I mean, seriously, if you don't like it or don't know how to do it or can't get used to it, shake it off because you're going to be worshiping There's going to be so many stilted, denominational, religious-type people who have to be saved by the blood. Nobody's going to know them in heaven because they're not going to be acting like they have here. They're going to be having a worship fit a praise fit, a benefit. That's what's going on in heaven. You can't escape it. Because, see, here's a mighty shout of praise. Look what happened, 19 verses 3 to 5. And again their voices rang out, praise the Lord, the smoke from that city, that is Babylon, ascends forever and ever. Then look what happens, the 24 elders and the four living beings fell down, and what they do? Worshiped God who was sitting on the throne, they cried out. Say it with me. Amen. Praise the Lord. Gosh, I like that. That just... And from the throne came a voice that said, Praise our God, all His servants, all who fear Him, from the least to the greatest. Praise Him. Finally, the voice of a great multitude. I want you to catch this now. This is the ultimate praise session. All of the redeemed of all the ages. Paul is there. Peter is there. Martin Luther is there. Wesley is there. Whitfield is there. Charles Spurgeon is there. The early church fathers are there. John is there. Doubting Thomas is there. all the redeemed of all the ages, sound out the last, what? Hallelujah. And man, it says, and they proclaim the eternal reign of God and then proclaim the marriage of the Lamb. Verses 6 to 7, then I heard again what sounded like the shout of a vast crowd. And John says it was like the roar of mighty ocean waves or the crash of loud thunder. So loud was this praise. Praise the Lord. We got to do it. Are you ready? Praise the Lord for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to Him. Give the Lord a hand of praise tonight. That's good. Now, segueing from the fourth hallelujah comes the presentation of the Lamb's wife. The ransom, the glorified bride of Christ. You're there. I'm there. In all of her spotless purity, this is the first of two suppers in this climactic chapter. Now, let's look at the wedding feast of the Lamb and His bride. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. This powerful now, now though we may speak among ourselves of the marriage of the bride, it is here the marriage of the Lamb, because it's the Lamb Jesus Christ's chief joy. You are His chief joy. He ransomed you with His blood. He filled you with His Spirit. He drew you out of darkness into His marvelous light. He called you out of certain destruction, plucked you out of hell placed you in his purpose and his destiny. Put his seal on your forehead, the Holy Ghost of the living God. And now, now, Jesus, after all this time, 21 centuries, he's receiving his bride. When all the redeemed are around him in heaven, then he will see the fulfillment of why he died. An innumerable multitude of, that comprise his bride. John sees the bride dressed in white. Revelations 19.8. She has been given the finest of pure linen, white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Now catch this. Always remember, we teach you here all the time, we're not saved by works, but works testify that we have been saved. We're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Do you get the difference? Any cult, I don't care what the cult is, you name it, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, you name the cult, I don't care what they are, you look at their doctrine every time, it's a works doctrine. Islam, same thing. It's works doctrine. You've got to do this, 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 and this, or you can't go to heaven. You work your way in with every single cult. Islam, they got what they call the 51%, the 51% philosophy or theology that you got to do enough good works that you're barely at least over halfway that more of your life was for good than for evil or you don't make it the 51 percent if i had to live by a 51 percent deal i'd be neurotic i wouldn't go anywhere i wouldn't do anything kathy say what do you want to do nothing i'm not going outside i'm not going anywhere i'm not doing anything to mess up the 51 percent i think i'm at 50 and a half I, i gotta make sure i go to heaven Now, the way they know they're going to go is martyrdom. That's the guarantee. That's a cult. I said it. It's cultish in that you've got to work your way in. Christianity is the only faith, the only religion that is by grace only. Only by grace. So... You and I don't have to work our way into anything, but we are called to involve ourselves in good works for which there will be a reward. Are you with me? So the fine linen, the white linen that we're going to wear in heaven represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the good deeds of which John is speaking are the works done by God's saints in obedience to him. It is the deeds that are rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. We will not be at the great white throne judgment that we're going to be looking at next time. And you talk about something scary, that great white throne judgment. We'll be at the judgment seat of Christ, spoken of in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15. Now, let me look at it real quickly. Here's the judgment seat of Christ that all of us that are believers will go to. Paul says, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no man can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, who is Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. You start with Him and His salvation by grace. Anyone who builds on the foundation of Jesus Christ may use a variety of materials. Now catch this, gold, silver, jewels, or wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done or what the good deeds in your life have been comprised of. What were their motivations? What did they produce? We're not talking about making it to heaven. We're talking about rewards. The fire of God's judgment will show if a person's work has any value if the work survives the testing of god's fire that builder will receive a reward but if the work is burned up the builder is going to suffer great loss the builder will be saved but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames you're saved by the blood see if your good deeds were to glorify yourself if your good deeds were to draw attention to you if your good deeds were done for something other than christ If your good deeds were fleshly, carnal, wrong motivation, then it's going to be burned up. It's wood, hay, and stubble. But if you submit to the call of Christ, like you go to somebody and you say, because Jesus told me to, I'm witnessing to you about him. Somebody gets saved. Reward. That'll stand the test of fire. If you pray, God's called you to pray. And you spend time in prayer, intercessory prayer, to the glory of God, for the moving of His Spirit, for the salvation of people. Rewarded. It'll stand the test of fire. Real important here. He says, now, when it's the good works that are done to the glory of God. Like, I'm called to teach. I'm a one-gift guy. I'm called to teach and I'm called to preach. I know I'm in the will of God doing this. I know I'm in the will of God. And I'll tell you, folks, it's scary to get out of the will of God. Dangerous to get out of the will of God. You pay a hefty price if you get out of the will of God. But see, every time I teach in obedience to him, not for me, because this is not a career choice. Pastoring, uh uh-uh. I wouldn't tell anybody to pastor if they weren't called to it. Now, some of you don't understand that statement. But if you could see somebody that's been pastoring about 20 or 30 years, sheep bites all over them. I mean, and the attack of the devil on you, trying to mess you up. I mean, it's not easy, but I love it because I'm called to it. I'm called to it so I can rejoice in it. But I wouldn't tell, you know, somebody 19, 20 years old says to me, Pastor, what should I do with my life? I would say, you might want to consider pastoring for a career choice. Uh Uh-uh. You better be called, dude. (laughs) Called. All right. So the good deeds for which these saints in Revelation have received the reward of pure white linen are works done in obedience to Jesus Christ. So are you obeying Jesus in your life tonight? Are you obeying Jesus? Are you doing what you know He's called you to do? Are you walking with Him like you know He's called you to walk with Him? Do you have peace with God in how you're living your life out? Obey Jesus. Obey Jesus. The premiums are incredible, and look how it follows you into eternity. Look how it follows you. But look how it follows you, all right? Now, after the bridal banquet, the triumphant saints go forth to participate in the glorious appearing and the establishment of his kingdom. This is powerful. Now, who is among these saints? They're identified in Hebrews twelve twenty-three. Look what he says. Here's the saints that are there. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. And you have come to the spirits, notice, the spirits of the righteous in heaven who have now been made perfect. When you die as a believer, your spirit goes to heaven. Who is in this banquet? The spirits of those who have now been made perfect. These are the redeemed of this age, rewarded and glorified, now ready to be exalted with Christ in heavenly splendor. Guests at the marriage feast will include John the Baptist, friend of the bridegroom. That's what he called himself, the Old Testament saints and the tribulation martyrs. So who will be there? Who will be there? John the Baptist, the Old Testament saints, and the tribulation martyrs, and of course the redeemed church. The marriage feast will be a joyous celebration To honor the Lamb and the Lamb's wife in front of all of heaven. John is completely overwhelmed with this scene. The angel speaks to him again and says, Write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, These are true words that come from God. You know what you are tonight, church? You're blessed. Because you have been invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. So you better not say, I cannot come. (laughs) Better not say it. Because you've been invited. And so when John hears these words, he drops to his hands and knees. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But the angel said to me, don't worship me. I'm a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus worship only god for the essence of prophecy watch this now the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness for jesus i want you to catch that you want to prophesy witness about jesus the essence the core the kernel of prophecy is to give a witness for jesus anytime we testify about jesus we're prophesying glory to god now next John sees the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. I mean, this is powerful. The likes of which the world has never seen. In verse 11, heaven opens up, a door from that heavenly and spiritual dimension where God reigns will appear. And from that divine realm comes the all-conquering Christ. Verses 11 to 13 go on. Then I saw heaven open, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and true for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war now let's be sure about who this is remember how he was described in the beginning of revelations here it is again his eyes were like flames of fire on his head were many crowns a name was written on him that nobody could understand except himself he wore a robe dipped in blood no doubt now a robe dipped in blood and his title was what Say it again, the Word of God. What did John write? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is Jesus on a white horse. Next, the redeemed of the Lord come into the picture. Revelation 19, verse 16, "...the armies of heaven, dressed in finest of pure white linen, followed Him on white horses." Have you ever ridden a horse? How many of you have never ridden a horse? Stand up if you have never ridden a horse. Just stand up if you've never ridden a horse. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. That's all I'm telling you. And I stole from somebody there. But, you know, I just read that you're going to be riding one too. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nation. And he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce, what, everybody? Wrath of God, the Almighty. Like juice flowing from a wine press on his robe at his thigh. Now, there's no doubt, was written, what, everyone? King of all kings and Lord of all lords. This is the end of history right here. This is the end of history. History is not going to end with men. It's not going to end with governments. It's not gonna end with a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian. It's not going to end with Satan in charge. History ends with the appearance of Jesus Christ on a white horse with all the redeemed with him coming back to earth to shut down the war of Armageddon and establish his rule. That's where it ends. Now, notice that his names add up to six in connection with this majestic revelation. And another name, the Lamb, mentioned earlier in the chapter, makes seven names in all. Remember I told you that the book of Revelation is a book of sevens, seven spirits, seven vials, seven seals, seven bowls, 21 judgments, multiple of seven. Now, here's seven again, seven names for the Lord. Here they are. Read them with me. He is the Lamb, faithful. True, mysterious name no one knows but He Himself, the Word of God, King of kings, and Lord of lords. That's His seven names. Powerful. Now, this amazing event is the fulfillment of both Old and New Testament prophecies concerning Messiah's sudden and majestic coming in the day of the Lord. While the worst battle in the history of the world is being waged in the Middle East, Jesus is suddenly going to appear. This is when men will ask for the rocks to fall on them. It is a literal, personal, visible, physical, and spiritual return of the same Jesus who ascended up into heaven in Acts one eleven. It's the same event John described at the beginning in Revelations one seven. Here is what he said: Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and how many will see him? Everyone. Even those who pierced him, that is the Jewish people, and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, Amen. Amen. That's me. Now, against the sun's backdrop, an angel appears. Summoning the birds of prey, scavengers and vultures from all over the world to gather for the supper of the great God, when Jesus returns, here's what they're told: Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slaves, small and great. What are they eating? The bodies this is what the Bible says, the bodies remaining from the slaughter of the armies of the world following the horrific battle of Armageddon. This gives us a glimpse into the terrible punishment, folks, from the hand of God on this final generation. It's going to be horrific, horrible, awful, stunning, and mind-numbing. The kings of the East and the combined Western forces of Antichrist have gathered in the valley of Megiddo for war. Remember the four angels who were bound at the Euphrates River in Revelation 913 to 16? Let's read it. Then the sixth angel blew. We're jumping back now to Revelation 9. I want to just remind you of these four angels. The sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. And the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. Then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one-third of all the people on earth. And I heard the size of their army. This army will amass in the near future. It'll be eastern armies. And it was 200 million mounted troops. They will gather in the near future for this battle. This massive army of 200 million men out of the East, along with the combined Western forces of Antichrist, will be on the verge of annihilating the entire human race. Madness will be ruling the world. Jesus warned in Matthew's Gospel about this very battle. He said, For then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never will it ever be equaled again. The worst of the worst, the unprecedented, the unspeakable. If those days had not been cut short, Jesus said, no one would survive, not a soul. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Now, how will those days be cut short? By the sudden appearance of Jesus Christ. But amazingly, and this is one of the mind blowers of Scripture the Antichrist and his forces and the kings of the East and their forces, when they see Jesus coming in the clouds, the Bible says in Revelations they will join together. War makes strange bedfellows, they say. They will join together to fight the returning Messiah. That is insanity. If I'm seeing somebody come on the clouds on a horse... I'm on my face. I repent, I repent, I repent, I repent. I've been wrong, 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 wrong. But no, so obstinate, so rebellious, so hard-hearted will they be. They will literally believe in their arrogance and their pride that they can fight the returning Messiah. Revelation 19, 19, look at what it says. Then I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. King David prophesied of this incredible act of arrogance in Psalms 2. He said, Why do the nations rage, and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But what will God do? Read it with me. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. He will speak to them in His wrath and distress them in His deep displeasure and His fury. The Lord quickly deals with them in Revelation 19, 20. It doesn't take long. And the beast, the Antichrist, was captured. And with him, the false prophet, the false spiritual leader. And by the way, Antichrist will be Gentile. False prophet will be Jewish. It says... They will be taken, who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast, that is the false prophet, and the Antichrist, will be seized. And what does it say? Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the burning, fiery lake of burning sulfur. Now, let me tell you something you may or may not have ever thought about. Nobody is in the flames of hell yet. Nothing is in the flames of hell yet. If you die without God, you go into Sheol. The place, it's like a waiting room for those that are lost. The lost, unredeemed spirits of people go there and wait. What do they wait for? It says in Revelations, when Jesus comes back and the great white throne judgment arrives, death and hell, that is, Sheol, will spew up the dead that are in it. And they'll be judged. And then they'll be thrown into the lake of fire. The first two to break open hell, that is the flaming lake of fire, are the false prophet and the antichrist. They're the first two. Right now it burns with nothing in it. The antichrist and false prophet are the first ones to break open the doors of hell. This fulfills Second Thessalonians 2 verse 8. And then the lawless one, the antichrist, will be revealed. Whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming when he comes on that white horse. Then, it says in verse 21, their entire army, 200 million, and the forces of Antichrist were killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. God is a God of love. God is a God of wrath. If you sin, you will pay consequences. I'd be lying to you. if I. But what about grace? Grace forgives you. And sometimes grace will, will soften consequences, but you will have consequences. Now, if you're outside of Christ, you have no hope. When this happens, look at this sharp sword coming out of the mouth of the one who walked the shores of Galilee. And everybody sees him as sort of a first-century hippie love child. Uh Uh-uh. He was the Lamb of God first time. He's the Lion of Judah second time. And with words from his mouth, this gigantic, huge battle is stopped in an instant. And the birds of the air feast on the bodies, slain by the words of Christ. Say, well, Pastor Jeff, that sounds mean. It's totally just. Well, I don't like it. Well, look what it says in Revelation and the vultures all gorge themselves on the dead bodies. Isn't that not gross? Everybody say it with me, gross. But it's going to happen. Now, the course of civilization, which by and large has rejected God and His Word, comes to a close. And a new era is about to dawn. Zechariah predicted what happened next, and we'll close with this. The Lord will rule the earth. Look what Zechariah wrote. Watch, for the day of the Lord is coming when your possessions will be plundered right in front of you. He's talking to the Jewish people. I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. This is during the Great Tribulation. The city will be taken, the houses looted, the women raped. Half the population will be taken into captivity, and the rest will be left among the ruins of the city just prior to Christ's return. Then look what Zechariah said, Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as He has fought in times past. And on that day His feet, Messiah's feet, will stand on the Mount of Olives. East of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will split apart, making a wide valley running from east to west. Half the mountain will move toward the north and half toward the south. You will flee through this valley, that is the Jewish people, for it will reach across to Azel, not our Azel, I should have said Azal. Yes, you will flee as you did from the earthquake in the days of King Uzziah of Judah. And the Lord, my God, will come. And here it is again. Who's with him? All his holy ones with him. On that day, the sources of light will no longer shine, yet there will be continuous day. Only the Lord knows how this could happen. There will be no normal day and night, for at evening time it will still be light On that day, life-giving waters will flow out from Jerusalem, half toward the Dead Sea and half toward the Mediterranean, flowing continuously in both summer and winter. He's talking about the millennial thousand-year reign of Christ, the millennial kingdom, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshiped and not any other next time. We're going to look at Satan's doom because he's about to split into the lake of fire and the end of all history, that is the millennial reign of Christ. Let's stand up together, can we? Give the Lord a hand of praise. He is good. I can't wait for next time because we're going to go into what you are going to live in, what it's going to be like in the new kingdom. And if you know somebody lost, you ought to get them here. Because it's going to be powerful. A week after that, I'm going to have an audio tape as part of the message. My all-time favorite pastor, Howard Knatzer, who died when he was a little bit younger than me. Can you believe that? He had a heart attack in the pulpit. And all he had time to do, his head deacon's name was Blackie. All he had time to do was turn around and say, Blackie, I'm having a heart attack. And down he went. Right in front of everybody. They took him out. And on the way to the hospital, he died, flatlined. And they got him to the hospital and started jumping him, shocking him, trying to revive him. When he opened his eyes again, his heart began to beat again, he was very disappointed. And he says so. And he describes what he saw. And what's so chilling about it and moving about it is he had not been a real student of revelations and what he saw he had to look up in revelations after he was revived and he found that what he had seen was exactly what was there and you're going to hear that audio it's about five minutes and it'll be part of the message in two weeks we're going to end this strong and it's going to bless you so can we bow in prayer right now heavenly father we thank you that you are the God of history and you're in charge of all things. And we feel, Lord, time galloping. Towards the end, we see the nations lining up. And we know that you are near at the very door and we want to be ready as your bride. And we ask you, Lord God, if anyone is in this house or listening by radio or watching this video, who is far from you, that you will draw them near in this hour of grace. With every head bowed, grace doesn't last forever. The day will come when grace is done. But there's grace right now. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I don't know about my walk with God. I'm not sure about it. I want to know that I'm right with him. I want to know I'm washed in the blood of the Lamb. I want to know I have peace with God. I want to leave with that certainty. You can do that tonight. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, that's me, and, you know, I've strayed, or I don't know that I've ever been born again. I want to be sure. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up right where you are? And I want to pray for you tonight. Just lift your hand up. God bless you, you and you and you. God bless you. I want you to listen carefully to me. I want you to do something. I want you to slip out from where you are and just come and stand right in front of me. Say, why do I have to come down there? Because the minute you take a step, that is a step of faith. And God's going to do a miracle in your life tonight. And he's going to give you peace that passes all understanding. So if you raise your hand, I'm going to wait a moment. I want you to come. Come now. Come quickly. This is your moment, your hour, your time. You may not have another opportunity like this.